Chapter 12, Entropy We are each our own devil, and we make this world our hell. Oscar Wilde Entropy The jars looked away, indifferent to the bright lights and the presence of strangers. For thousands of days, they'd been imprisoned within this crude catacomb. Labels, yellowed and exhausted from a lifetime of screaming out desperate clues to nobody, were curled up like dried leaves, barely legible. Now, bone-weary and resigned, the jars were too tired to testify, too broken to remember the sweetness of life. And all this time, their mournful cries echoed here, just six miles from local law enforcement and a million told-you-sos were never going to make this right. So, what do you say to someone when it's too late? Submit as evidence, item number 213, one ounce ball jar, wide mouth, blue glass, contents is liquid, appears to be blood, and a single unknown solid body part, origins, animal or human. Submit as evidence, item number 214, one sixteen-ounce ball jar, wide mouth, clear glass, contents, hair, origin is animal or human. On and on it went, slowly and meticulously they examined and labeled. Provoked by the tedium of the process, the jars awakened and they were inconsolable, their voices blending into one tragic chorus. I'm here. My name, know my name. See me, see me. My mother's looking for me and her pain. Please, my children are grown adults now. They don't know what happened to me. Hurry, you fools, hurry. So many jars, hundreds and hundreds of them, placed four deep on countless shelves in every room, on every floor. But jars are supposed to hold sweet jams and jellies, the summer's harvest, sunshine. Instead, these jars held darkness. Here, fear and pain had been pickled, suspended like prized peppers, like blue ribbon winners from some ghastly carnival, and then sealed away, powdered with layers of dust, the dust of nightmares. The evidence response team worked in hushed tones. The state of Maine is one big, small town, and with hundreds more jars to categorize and prep for transport, every officer there accepted the possibility that a jar might just hold the remains of a friend, former classmate, or family member. The crime scene hummed with the soft reverence of a funeral home. An agent stood at the back kitchen entrance, talking into the ear of a woman with a clipboard. I tried, but Home Depot sold out. I got the last three freezers this side of Auburn. If these aren't enough, I'll have to drive to Portland. Oh, yeah? We'll drive to Portland, then, she whispered sharply. Every inch of the property was crawling with uniformed officers and detectives, Sheriff Randall would add no value to the crowded scene inside the house, and so he backed down off the porch and looked around the yard for his friend and mentor, Sheriff Bruce Belanger. 
Outside, a young man wearing an ERT jacket hollered something to Nathan, but over the hum of the state police generators, it was impossible to hear. The man jogged toward him. You're looking for a Sheriff Belanger, right? He's expecting you. If you hold right there, sir, I will direct you to him. Dutifully, the sheriff followed the young man out to the beginning of a well-trampled path marked with large glow sticks. It looked like a miniature landing strip. The path led some distance out behind the neighboring three-story apartment building before looping back some 200 yards to a cluster of people standing in a field. Just ask that you stay on the path, sir. Sheriff Randall nodded in acknowledgement and watched the man return to his post. Ahead, he could make out a figure down on the ground, and even from afar, it was enormous. Multiple camera flashes helped to illuminate the body, and Nathan tried to take in what he could as he advanced onto the scene. Sheriff Belanger wasted no time. The whole county has been in a panic, Nate, wondering when I'm going to solve these missing person crimes, and here I've been, serving it up to him on a platter. He nodded in the direction of the corpse. Bruce's voice was raspy and tired, his shoulders hunched from the weight of it all. Nathan was still scanning the area around him. He could see no sign of a struggle. His name's Eugene Dwayne Shaw. He was a security guard at the mill. Want to know how many times I asked him to escort employees to their cars? He's even been volunteering in searches and passing out missing person flyers. I probably served him a goddamn cup of coffee. And the whole time... Bruce's voice trailed off, and he shook his head. So, what's he doing here? Nathan asked, while looking down at the biggest human being he'd ever seen. Bruce motioned for Nathan to follow him back along the path toward the house. This man had the blood volume of a municipal swimming pool, but we can't seem to find a drop of it. Not one drop. We're all clueless, just a bunch of goddamned idiots. All of this is beyond what I've seen in my thirty years, and I'm tapping out. Done. I'm not qualified for this, and it's not what I signed up for. Bruce continued his brisk pace as he spoke. Somewhere along the way, it stopped being about small-town crime, and I'm not interested in death, drugs, and darkness. My heart can't take it, so I'm leaving, handing the reins over to my number two. Nathan couldn't believe his ears, and he halted briefly before hurrying to keep up. Bruce, you sure? Never more sure of anything in my life, Bruce yelled back in his usual tone. This is not my county anymore. It's not my anything. Let the young bucks chase down the serial killers. Then he stopped abruptly and spun around, his shoulders now squared with Nathan's. There was a moment of hesitation before he removed his wide-brimmed sheriff's hat, his bald head now fully exposed to the cold. I called you out here to tell you something that no respectable sheriff would ever say out loud. But in twelve hours, I won't be a sheriff anymore, so I'm going to say it. Nathan watched Bruce's face for a clue about what else might be coming. Bruce wasn't the type to preface anything, and it was making him uneasy. There is something out there, Nathan. Something worse than all of this. 
The old sheriff was pointing a gloved hand in the direction of the tiny house, now so overrun with agents that it shifted and moved like a carcass covered in flies. And if you're not good with your God, not good with what's inside of you, you are going to fail. Then Bruce asked, Ever heard of Peter the Apostle? But Nathan wasn't following. Bruce's demeanor had him confused and very concerned. Bruce was beyond caring. He returned his hat to his head and lowered his voice. He was giving his last order. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Nathan stared back blankly. Bruce had always been so professional, so reticent, but now he was quoting scripture? Sensing his confusion, Sheriff Belanger slapped a heavy hand down onto Nathan's shoulder and added, Now, go and get yourself a goddamn Bible. Entropy Written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Main Stories or visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com. Thanks for listening.